Last week, you'll remember Pastor Wade continued this series we've been in uh, for a couple of weeks. It's called Blurred Lines, right? And the whole idea of this series is, is for us to find clarity in a culture that is chaotic, right? Uh, again, we, we've said it over and over again. We can all agree when we look at a culture, right? There, there's no sense of, hey, this is the truth, right? When we look at culture, truth is always changing, right? It almost changes every day. Hey, do this. This is what's right to do. And then the next day, it's, it's a new thing or a new way you have to talk, a new way you have to act. Scripture is just chaotic, right? Scripture tells us one way to live. Culture tells us another, right? And we talked the first week about how we're standing at a crossroads, right? And you remember, it's just an intersection, right? We, we are at a spot in our lives as believers, in our lives as a society and a nation where we have to decide which way we're going to go. And if you remember, the definition of crossroads says a point in which a significant decision has to be made, a decision that will have lasting impacts. And the decision that we have to make as believers is, are we going to follow scripture or are we going to follow the world? Because we can't do both, right? We can't live one foot in, one foot out. And the decision that we make there not only has real physical consequences, but it has these lasting eternal consequences. And then the second week, uh, if you were watching online, we talked about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And then Wade last week talked about really what truth is, right? And, and you remember that the takeaway from that was that Jesus is our source and scripture is our standard, right? As believers, Jesus is our source of truth. Jesus is our source of truth and scripture is our standard of truth. It's where we go for the truth, right? Because he, he shared that scripture is inspired by God, right? And we'll read that passage again tonight. But scripture is our standard. Jesus is our source. And tonight, we're, we're going to take a closer look at scripture. Uh, and some of the stuff we talk about tonight is just going to be really factual, right? It, it's going to just be, hey, this is literally what scripture is, right? Because some of you may not know that. Some of you may know that, hey, this is a Bible, but you may not know what's inside of it, literally. And so we'll talk literally about that. And then we'll, we'll talk about, hey, why can we trust scripture as true? First, I have a question for you. I want you to raise your hand on this. Raise your hand if you've ever watched HDTV. Like we're talking Fixer Upper, Hometown, uh, Property Brothers, Love It or List It, right? Like, look, I... I have to confess, I actually enjoy watching it. Uh, if my wife, Elizabeth, and I are watching TV, that's usually what we watch because that's the only thing that like, each of us will halfway be satisfied watching because uh, she doesn't like to watch the news with me or watch sports with me, so HGTV is the compromise. But I'm always amazed uh, at, at the way these people are able to take like a super run-down house, right? You've all seen it. Like, they take, like, the, the worst place ever. Like, I would never go spend money on this house, but they'll do it. And it's amazing to watch the transformation, right? They, they turn something awful into something beautiful, and that could be a whole sermon in and of itself of how Jesus takes us and makes us something bad to good, but there's always one problem that they cannot fix on their own, and it's a foundation issue. Right? When they are looking at the home and inspecting the home, when they find something like the, the foundation is cracked or there's something wrong, there's water in the foundation, whatever it is, 
that is the point where they're like, we've got a serious problem. Because it doesn't matter what else they do to that house. They can make it look as good as they want to. If the foundation is messed up, that house is going to fall. And the same thing is true for us. We need a sure and true foundation. We need a foundation that is strong, that will stand the test of time, that can endure all things. And frankly, I'm going to argue culture is not that thing. Something that is always changing, but I will argue that scripture is that firm, strong, and true foundation. Now, as Christians, we're always told that, right? We are always told as, as Christians that scripture is what we should be building our lives upon, right? Scripture should be our foundation. But how do we know that scripture is true, right? I think we, we get that question all the time. Like people ask us, well, how, how do you know that the Bible is true? Like, what if the Bible isn't true, right? Like, I, I've heard that question so many times I can't count. Like, what if the Bible isn't true? And I think we entertain that question a lot. But really, I think the question we should be entertaining is, what if the Bible is true? What if the Bible is true? I think a lot of people live their lives with the assumption that, mm, yeah, I, the Bible might be true, but it might also not be true. And so I'm just going to live my life how I want to. But what if the Bible is true? If the Bible is true, this nation, this world has a serious problem. Like, let's just be honest with us. And, and some of us, if, the, if, the Bible, if what is said in the word of God is true, some of us have a real problem. Because that means a lot of the things we're doing as people, as a nation, as a world, not only have to change, but have to stop altogether. We have, to, we have to take a massive course correction if the Bible is true. And I believe it is, but maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I, I don't know if the Bible is true. And so we're going to walk through that. And ultimately, we will answer the question of why is the Bible true? But before we can get to that, we need to ask, what is the Bible all about? What is the Bible all about? Right? Simply put, the Bible is the word of God. Right? That's a very... Very basic answer that I can give you. The Bible is the word of God. Uh, a way that it was taught to me uh, is that the Bible is like a library of books, right? Think of a, a modern book and how a modern book has chapters, right? The Bible, the chapters of the Bible are the different books. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, etc. Those are like the different chapters, and within those chapters, we have more sections that it's broken up into. But when we look at the Bible, there are, are, there's two main parts, right? And again, a lot of this in the beginning is going to be very factual, just because you need to understand what the Bible is, and you may not know. The Bible has two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament, right? We're all tracking. Old Testament, New Testament. Now, when we look at the Old Testament we see that there is a theme, right? Largely, the Old Testament is the story of a nation. The Old Testament is a story of a nation, specifically the history of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. The Old Testament largely is about God's relationship with the nation of Israel. And the New Testament 
is a story about a man. And that man's name, we all know, is, is Jesus. Right? The New Testament specifically focuses on the life of Jesus and then everything after his life. But it's still the story of that man, of how people shared about him and lived for him and sacrificed for him. Now, uh, some more facts. The Old Testament, there, there's 39 books in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's 27 books. Right? So we got a total of 66 books. And here, here's, a, here's a deal I'm going to make with just middle school. The first person that can come to me with all 66 books of the Bible memorized in order, I will give you a low dose gift card. low dose gift card. $15. All right? So after, after, if you got it, I have two actually, so the first two, okay? That's my deal, all right? Old Testament, 39 books. New Testament, 27 books, total of 66. Now, I think a lot of times when we read when we read scripture, right, I don't know about you, I have, I've opened my Bible and I've started reading in Genesis and I'll read through Exodus. And when I get to Leviticus, I'm like, what the heck am I reading? Right? It makes no sense to me. Right? I, I, and a lot of times when I first began to read the Bible, I came to the conclusion that the Bible was just too hard for me to read. It was just too hard for me to understand. And I, when I look back at that, the, the simple reason I thought that was because I didn't understand how Scripture was written, right? When we look at a book, like you've been trained, when you look at a book to, to, to read things in chronological order, when you read a history book, your history book starts at one point and ends at a later point, right? And everything in between is leading up to that end point, right? Everything we read largely is chronological, Everything happens in succession of one another. But the Bible is not written that way. The Bible is not written in chronological order. Now, I have uh, several Bibles up here. They're all mine. Uh, they're all different study Bibles. This is a chronological Bible. Okay? This Bible is written as if the events in the Bible happened in succession. Now, here's, here's what's crazy. When you read a normal Bible... Job is about halfway through the Old Testament. When you read a chronological Bible, Job is in the middle of Genesis. Because that's how the, the, the events happened in real time. Right? We read this, and a lot of times we're thinking everything's happening one after another, but that's not how the Bible is organized, unless you get a chronological Bible. The Bible is composed and organized by genre right? Types of writing. When we look at the Old Testament, you've got five, four different types of genre. You've got history, or excuse me, the law, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's the first books of the Bible. Then you have history, which is Joshua through Esther. Poetry, which is Job through Song of Solomon. See, like Job is right here. Genesis is all the way at the beginning. See what I'm talking about? And then you have the, the books of prophecy, which is Isaiah through Malachi, but those books are even subdivided. And you have Isaiah through Daniel, which makes up the major prophets. And you have Hosea through Malachi. I have that backwards. I could not type clearly today. Hosea through Malachi are the minor prophets. So just flip that. Sorry. And then as we move into the New Testament, again, you have four categories. You have the gospels, which are what? What's the first gospel? Matthew, then what? Mark, then what? And then? Good. 
okay? And then we have church history, which is the story of how the modern church, the church that you and I are in right now, right? This church is like a continuation of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is how the church started, the early church. And then you have the epistles or letters, uh, Romans through Jude, a lot of those Paul wrote, right? And then you have one book of prophecy, which is Revelation. And so all these books are not put in the Bible as one event happening after another. They're grouped by the type of writing that they were. But here's what's crazy. They're grouped by genre, but there's still one storyline. Right, we would think of one storyline being events happening one after another. But there's one storyline when these books are grouped by the type of writing. And when you look at who wrote the Bible, it's really just remarkable. Because when we look at it, there's, there's 40 plus different writers of scripture. Which you would expect there would be some sort of difference in the storyline of the Bible when you have that many people contributing to the writing. Hey guys, hey stop talking. I'm not afraid to call you out. The Bible, when we look at who wrote it, the Bible was written by poets, prophets, farmers, kings, soldiers, shepherds, princes, priests, historians, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, and even a doctor. Right? All these different people contributed to scripture. And so we would think that there would be some sort of dysfunction, some sort of discrepancy, but there's one storyline, one consistent story throughout all of scripture, and that's because there's only one author of the Bible. There is only one author of the Bible. Hey, if you brought your Bible tonight, I would encourage you every night to bring a Bible. Flip uh, to 2 Timothy. Book is 2 Timothy. It's also on your notes. You'll have it there. 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 through 17. And this is going to tell us Paul is going to tell us here who the author of Scripture is. And again, we read this verse last week. Here's what it says. Follow along. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So while there's many different writers of Scripture they wrote what God told them to write. And so God is the author and he used men and women to write the words that he gave them. Right, God is the author and Jesus is the subject of the entire Bible. Even when we look back to the Old Testament, Jesus is the subject. When we look back at what the Old Testament says, like a lot of it is foreshadowing Jesus. Right? The New Testament largely is just the fulfillment of the Old Testament. What the Old Testament said, the New Testament fulfilled and lived it out. And we saw Jesus come and live. Or when we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 39, listen to what it says here. Jesus is speaking here. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Catch this though. But the scriptures point to me. Jesus says, the scriptures point to me. Jesus is the subject of the Bible. Right? We, we read the, probably the most iconic verse of the Bible, John 3, 16. Right? 
where we understand what the, the whole storyline of the Bible is, that God sent his son to a world that was in need of a savior. And everyone who believes in him has eternal life. So that's what the Bible is, right? We're past the factual stuff. So back to the main question of why can we trust the Bible as true? Why can the Bible be trusted? Because I think that's a lot, that's a question that a lot of us ask. I know when I was in middle school, I asked that question. How do I know that I can trust a book that was written thousands of years ago? How can I? How can I trust that the words in this book are true and good for my life? So I want to give you five reasons tonight why the Bible can be trusted. And the first one is this, the Bible is historically accurate. The Bible is historically accurate. When we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament's a lot of history, right? Psalm 33, four says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. Right, we, in scripture, we have eyewitness accounts of things that happened, right? The, the Bible was recorded by people and copied over time with extreme care. But here's the other fact. As archaeologists have gone into the nation of Israel and the Middle East, they have uncovered what the Bible has said to be true. And they have uncovered the things that the Bible has said happened. Let me ask you this. Why are they finding Egyptian chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea? Why? I, I, can, I can flip to Exodus and tell you why. Moses parted the Red Sea as the Israelites were fleeing Egypt and the Egyptians came after them in their chariots. And what happened? The Israelites made it through and the Egyptians got swallowed up in their chariots in the middle of the sea. So I would say the Bible points historically as to what happened. Historically, the Bible is true. Right, biblical towns have been found. Go Google biblical towns that have been uncovered by archaeologists. Google it when you get home. It's crazy. Like things that are, are true and they're where the Bible says they are, they're, they're laid out how the Bible says they are. Right? When you go into Rome and in Italy, you can literally go see where Paul was in prison. Literally. Right? Where Paul was writing the book of Romans, you can go see where he wrote it. It's, it's historically accurate. The second reason is this, and maybe this, is, this one's a little more contended and challenged. The Bible is scientifically accurate. Uh, and, and here's what I'll say going into this. Uh, we're not going to touch right here on the Big Bang Theory and evolution. That's actually going to be in another message that we will tackle in the next month or so, most likely. Uh, so if that is something that you've ever wondered is scientifically, how is the Bible accurate? We'll get to that. Or, but I just want to point out a couple simple things, right? At, at first, people thought the earth was flat, right? You had the flat earthers. But here's what scripture says in Isaiah 40, 22. It says, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, which would then mean that the earth is not flat, right? People thought something uh, was holding the earth up. But scripture says in Job 26, 7, that he spreads out the northern skies over empty space and he suspends the earth over nothing, right? People thought that the stars in the sky could be counted. 
But Jeremiah 33, says, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. And even when you look at the, the promise that God makes to Abraham, he says, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, the point that you can't even count them. You'll have so many, you can't even count them. But let me give you another example that's happened not too long ago. There was a scientific, secular, non-Christian study that occurred looking at DNA. And when, they, when this study came out, again, it's a non-Christian DNA study. They, they found that human DNA can be traced back to two original people. Interesting. But they also found that there is a catastrophic event in their minds. I don't know what this event is. A catastrophic event that happened in the line of human DNA early on. Hmm. I wonder what that could be. Could it be the flood? As scripture says in the Old Testament in Genesis, where God floods the earth and mo- like all of humanity except for, God, or for Noah's family is wiped out. That would be a pretty catastrophic event early on in the, the line of human DNA. So scientifically, even though non-Christians refuse to acknowledge it, science backs up scripture. And we'll get into more of that in a later message as well. Third point, the Bible is prophetically accurate. The Bible is prophetically accurate. The Old Testament is full of prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Go read Isaiah and you'll see what I'm talking about. Go read Daniel or Ezekiel, right? Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. Every prophecy that was given about Jesus was fulfilled by him. Now, Wade and I were looking up some statistics, and here's what we found. One person, if one person fulfilled eight prophecies, that, you, that is a one in 100 quadrillion chance. You have a better chance, like, 10 times better chance of winning the mega millions lottery than you do of have like fulfilling eight prophecies. If you were to fulfill 16 prophecies, you have a one in 10 to the 45th power of fulfilling that at 45 zeros after that 10. If you were to fulfill 48 prophecies, which Jesus did, you have a one in 10 to the 157th power chance that number doesn't even exist. I think it was like 100 quadriceptillion. What the heck is that? Google didn't even know how to write it. Guys, the, the, the point is the chances of these prophecies being fulfilled the way they were are next to impossible. But Jesus did it. Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies. Second Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets through human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God was speaking to prophets about the things that would happen and the things that were to come. The fourth thing, the Bible is thematically unified. That just means the theme of the Bible is unified. You're not going to read the Bible and say, hey, there's a theme in the Old Testament that doesn't match the theme in the New Testament. There's one theme. There's one storyline. Right? Luke 24, 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus explained all of the scriptures, and he explained how all of the scriptures point back to him. One author, one subject, one storyline. 
And the fifth and final reason that the Bible can be trusted is the Bible has been trusted for centuries. When we look back to that scripture in Jeremiah, speaking about the crossroads, what does Jeremiah say? Ask for the ways of the old. Ask for the old ancient paths. Ask for wisdom of how it's been done. Right, Matthew 5, 18 says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus says, you can take this to the bank. Until everything is, is accomplished, this, the word of God, will remain. Now, when we look at it, people, person after person has tried to get rid of scripture, has tried to get rid of the Bible. Even in nations where Bibles are outlawed and you can be killed for having one, people have Bibles, right? The Chinese cannot stop people in China from getting a Bible. North Korea cannot stop people, no matter how badly they want to, cannot stop people from getting their hands on God's word. Right, the Bible has endured wars and dictators, disasters and persecution. People have been killed for scripture, but people still have it. People still trust it. Ultimately, the Bible was trusted by Jesus. Right, when we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, right, the garden where Jesus is praying before he's crucified. God, I, I just want to point something out to you. I don't think Jesus desired to go be crucified. I don't think Jesus was like, yeah, let's go. Put some nails through me. Tear my back up with some whips. I don't think, I, when we look at what Jesus says, he says, Father, if there is any other way, let it be. Meaning Jesus is asking God, God, if there's any other way for, for your will to be done other than me having to go to the cross and be crucified, please let it happen. But what we see is Jesus trusted the word of God. And he trusted that the word of God was true. And if, if the word of God said that this needs to happen in my life, if this is what I need to do, then that must be the best thing for me. He said, God, if the best thing for me and for this world is for me to go be nailed to a cross, I'll do it. I'll trust that that is the best way. The Bible was trusted by Jesus. The Bible is and has been trusted by people. When we look at the disciples, most of them were killed for scripture. Person after person, there was a book when I was growing up called Voice of the Martyrs. Go find it on Amazon and buy it. Voice of the Martyrs. That book, it's a, it, it'll wreck you, I'm telling you. It is person after person's story of how they died for Christ, how they were tortured, abused, and killed for Christ. Where they say, I don't care what you do to me. I'm gonna stand firm on scripture. I'm gonna defend the word of God because I know it's true. And guys, there's a reason it's been trusted for centuries. I don't know where we get this idea that all of a sudden in 2022, all of a sudden scripture is possibly not true. Like I, th I think people were smart enough, 
I think Isaac Newton was smart enough, and all these crazy smart people in history were smart enough to where if it wasn't true, they would have figured it out pretty quick. Like, is it possible that maybe all the disciples got together and created this crazy elaborate story? Sure, it's, anything's possible. Is it realistic? No. And again, would most of the disciples died for something that was fiction? Like, ask yourself, would people die for something that's a lie? Because people are dying for scripture every day. Would people risk their lives just to get one page of the Bible if it wasn't true? We live in a culture and in a society where we're comfortable and we take this for granted. And we allow that complacency to get in and tell us what's true and to put doubt in our mind. But for people who know that this is true, there's no doubt in their mind. So scripture's true. It challenges us. It teaches us what is right and what is wrong. And it, it challenges us to live lives that are fully centered on Christ. And it challenges us to turn from culture. Or you can't align your life to the truth that scripture teaches if you don't know what it is and if you don't know what it says. You cannot live for Christ if you don't know what the word of God says. Right? And in order for, for scripture to be our foundation, in order for scripture to be our foundation, we have to first love the word. Right, this is the takeaway for today. You have to first love the word and you have to learn the word. But guys, in order for it to make a difference in your life, you have to live the word. Find a translation that makes sense to you. Ultimately, just find a translation that you'll read. Right? If the, the these and the thous and the ain'ts and the can'ts are your thing, like go with the King James Version. That ain't for me. I can't understand it. If the New Living Translation is, is more your style, read that. If you like the NIV, cool. If you like the ESV, cool. Just read what you'll read. If you'll read it, that's what you need. But I also challenge you to get a study Bible. Right? There's a reason these Bibles are about twice the size of this one. Because these Bibles are filled with content that explain every verse of scripture that give insight. This one is chronological, right? So it, it talks about how the events are happening after succession. This one is a cultural backgrounds Bible. So it, it gives you insight into the culture that is happening around the verses. And this one is a life application study Bible, which tells you how the verses apply to your life. Whatever type of study Bible you need, get, get it. Because it'll help you take your spiritual growth your next steps to a deeper level with Christ. And this is something, that this final thing is something you're all doing is participate in a small group. All of you are attending a small group on Wednesday nights, but I don't know that we're all participating in small groups. I think there's a difference there. You can sit in small group and you can just let things go in one ear and out the other. But I would challenge you, if you want to see real spiritual growth happening in your life, participate, listen, talk about the questions, talk about what's going on in your life with your leaders and listen and grow. Love the word, learn the word, live the word. Let's pray. Dear God, from, uh, from this day forward, we will accept 
the Bible as your flawless word given to us. Lord, we will, we will make it the final authority for our lives. Even when there are times when we don't understand it, when we don't understand what it's saying, or when it's not popular and it's not easy, when it challenges us, Lord, we will make it the authority of our lives even when we don't like it. Lord, we believe that you are God and we believe that we are not. So thank you for loving us enough to speak to us through your word. Lord, we want to love your word, learn your word, and we want to live your word out every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.